The gospel text that this sermon is preached from is Mark chapter 8. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, uh, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for justifying us through our faith in your death and resurrection, and thank you for that peace that we're granted with the Father through that faith. Amen. Are we persecuted? Can someone tell me? Meaning like here in America in 2021, are Christians persecuted? Uh, as per usual, I looked up the definition and the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it says that persecution, it's not persecution unless you've been harassed, punished, grieved, or afflicted specifically for one's beliefs. What's weird about that definition is anyone can do that to anyone for any belief, any idea. And so I went to the UN terminology database First time I've ever been to the UN.org. And it defines, um, it defines persecution as systemic threat to life or freedom on account of religion. In other words, we have the religion component here, not just any belief, but it brings in a political aspect to it, like a systemic thing. Uh, these are very two very different definitions. And so it's hard to keep reality straight if the definitions are all across the board on what persecution is. Well, I can tell you that in all honesty and truth, I've had a hobby horse in the past few months and it's been looking into reading about the stories of Christians that have undergone persecution in the past and even now. 
And what I can tell you is that Christian persecution is very real in the world. Open Doors Ministries, they report that last year in 2020, over 340 million Christians, they lived in places where they experienced high levels of true persecution. 4,761 Christians were killed on account of their Christian faith, and 4,277 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. So when we prayed in the Kyrie to that, when we prayed for those imprisoned, and Jesus says, when you visited the least of these in prison, you can think of the Christians that are imprisoned for the gospel in those prayers. Now, all these people, they need our prayers. They need our prayers daily for, you know, three key reasons, right? Their freedom, their witness, and their faithfulness, that they remain faithful even under the persecution. But please know that when I bring up these scary statistics, that I'm not trying to negate or lessen your experience of suffering. I know that 100% of you have been sick. I know that many of us suffer plagues of sadness, melancholy, depression. We all suffer grief when loved ones die. And many of us are maybe facing financial suffering. And it's not even our fault. But no matter what form of suffering that your suffering takes... We suffer, and we're also tempted to fear that suffering, to fear pain, and to even fear death, maybe even to the point of despair. And what stinks about suffering and experiencing pain and grief and loss is sometimes our closest friends and family members give us terrible advice about it. They say things like, well, why don't you just stop thinking about it? Or why, don't, why are you acting that way? Why aren't you acting normal? Or maybe this is actually good and you just don't realize it yet. Or the worst, if you prayed harder, God wouldn't be doing this to you. Please don't feel alone. Please know that even the disciples had a hard time understanding what suffering was. Jesus and his disciples today, they were walking along. I think it said that they were going to Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And they responded. Well, first and foremost, they think that you're John the Baptist uh, because you're preaching repentance of sin and to have faith in a coming Messiah. But other people think that you're a prophet, just like another prophet, maybe like Elijah or Elisha. Um, I don't know, maybe, just, maybe you're a forerunner to a Messiah, you're a holy man. And so he follows up, and Jesus asks the quintessential question that all Christians must seriously ponder, meditate on with the scriptures, and answer in its fullest. 
Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Well, Simon Peter, he boldly confesses, you are the Christ. Right answer, ding, ding. And you are the son of man. You are the Messiah. That's what he means when he says the Christ, the Messiah, the son of man. And so, you know, Jesus, he wipes that cold sweat off his forehead. He's like, they got it. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. But the thing is, they don't understand yet what that means, what it means to be the Messiah. And the reason I say that is because they make it brutally honest in the next sentence. And because right after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus explains what the Christ has to do. He must suffer. The Christ must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Uh, the Christ must be killed. And the Christ must, three days later, rise again. But Peter, for some reason, won't hear this. He rebukes him. That's what the scriptures say. He rebukes Jesus. Something you don't really want to find yourself doing. But, so he corrected him. Like, if he got the wrong answer in class, he says, Jesus, you're wrong. Surely you, Jesus, you know, as Christ, as a holy man, that the Son of Man doesn't suffer and die. I mean, come on. Bad things don't happen to good people. Right? Well, what a gross misunderstanding of what suffering is, right? What a gross mis misunderstanding of who the Messiah is, who the Christ is, who the Son of Man is, the suffering servant, the one who will be pierced for our transgressions. Understanding this to be a teachable moment, Jesus brings those crowds back and he tells them all, if anyone would come after me, then let himself deny himself utterly and take up his cross and follow me. This radically changes the definition. It radically changes the rules. That definition of what a follower of Christ was, way more clear than those early definitions of what persecution is. Now Jesus is making it clear that to be a follower of Jesus is to deny one's own self-interests, desires, needs, and to completely deny those things, deny even themselves, take up the cross of suffering, and follow Jesus. Jesus makes it clear, I don't want admirers. I don't want fangirls. I, I don't want students. I, I want people who deny themselves their own interests and they follow me. That's what Jesus says. But follow him to where? To Caesarea Philippi? To the next town? To, to dinner? No, to persecution. To suffering. To betrayal. To pain. To death. Even death on a cross. And funny enough, this is where his disciples follow him. 
Imagine Peter. Imagine. Yeah, he'd go on to do many great things for Christ and for Christ's church, his body. He'd try to defend Jesus in the garden, even with a sword. He'd jump out of a boat to swim to shore and see his friend Jesus. He'd swear that he loved Jesus, and he'd swear to love his sheep. He'd swear to shepherd God's sheep. He'd be the first bishop in Rome. And then there'd be a great fire in Rome in 64 AD. And uh, Emperor Nero had to blame someone. And who he blamed for the great fire were the Christians. And who is the head of the Christians? Peter. Peter would be arrested. He would be mocked, tortured, starved, beaten, and nailed to a cross, though upside down. And he would do this for his Christ. At any time, Peter could have said, Oh no, I'm not a Christian. I don't know what you're saying. I'm not associated with those weirdos, those Christians that eat blood and, or drink blood and eat flesh and drown their children in baptismal fonts. Bob, bad things aren't supposed to happen to good people. He could have said those things, but he didn't. He didn't save his own skin. Instead, as Jesus prophesied, when he was old, his arms were stretched out on a cross. Large nails were driven through his wrists. Blood rushed to his head because he was upside down. Soldiers laughed at him and mocked him. And I'm sure Jesus' words were whispering in his ear from his youth, Who do you say that I am? Not only when you know for sure, but right now on the cross, who do you say that I am, Peter? And Peter said, you are the Christ. He confessed it to Jesus that first day in today's reading. He confessed it each day until his martyrdom. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who must suffer many things, be rejected, be killed, for me, for Peter, for you. But it isn't enough to know that Jesus did all of these things. Even the demons know these things, and they shudder. But Peter, but you, believe these things. You have faith in these things. To the end, Peter didn't simply know that Jesus suffered, died and was buried and came to terms with it as some philosophic truth or a hard pill to swallow. No, Peter believed that Jesus did these things for him and it was counted to him as righteousness, faith, trust. Peter denied himself, picked up his cross literally and followed Jesus to suffering, to humiliation, to death. But Peter also followed Jesus to life. It didn't stop there. Peter followed Jesus to resurrection. And this is the same place that we follow Jesus. Some of us might not remember it. Some of you may. But one morning, maybe you're an infant, 
Maybe you're a teen, maybe you're a toddler, maybe you're an adult. Maybe it was last Sunday, I don't know. You were brought in front of a group of strangers, maybe friends, and you were drowned underwater. Your old selves were killed, and your new selves were raised to new life. Baptized, forgiven, given the forgiveness of sins and salvation, life. Or maybe you simply believed you had faith in Christ's death and resurrection and you'd love to be baptized by Pastor Peter one day. Either way, you were saved. You were justified by that faith. And through this, we now have peace with God the Father through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And that means a few things. What that means that we have new life, it means that not all of us are called to die a martyr's death to be like Peter or one of the 4,700 Christians last year. But all of us are called to have that same spirit of self-sacrifice and love to the very end that Peter had, that the martyrs had. And allow that self-sacrificial love to transform your lives, to inform the actions you take and how you love one another. And it also means that our suffering now has meaning. It means that when we suffer, we are sharing in the suffering of Jesus Christ. Because when we rejoice in our sufferings, We know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character or discipline, and character or discipline produces hope. The hope that, though we're nailed to a cross in 64 AD, though we are depressed, though we are sad, though we are suffering in 2021, though perhaps we die, We have the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus through faith in his suffering, death, and resurrection for you. Now, having this faith is scary. Facing persecution is scary. Suffering, death, it's all scary. Just ask Peter. And even though maybe we don't live a life like Peter, even though maybe, I don't know, we're undisciplined weak 21st century people, while we were still weak, it says today in the reading, while we were still weak, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for you. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.